Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Oh, that sounds so much better than first service. First service, I go, how are you doing today? They went, ah. Yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff that's happened uh, over the last few days. We had 12 people in our home for three days, nine meals. It was awesome. Uh, I, I'm sure that's breaking some rules, but it was family. So, but but just, just so thankful. And some of you, how many of you are thankful that 2020 is coming to an end? We get to start a whole nother year. Yeah, I am too. I'm glad of that. But God has been faithful even in the midst of of this pandemic. God's been so faithful, so thankful for that, that he is faithful in the midst of everything else. I want to welcome all the other campuses joining uh, with us today. And I'm so thankful. Here's something I'm thankful for. Uh, Christmas Eve services, I think we had 37 of them across our locations. And we had just under 5,000 people that attended live at our service. It's like we're all right, you know, it's like we're coming back. So, so incredibly good. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come to be born in the manger in 2020. Aren't you glad that it happened 2,000 years ago? Because if Jesus came in 2020, it would look like this. This is what it would be. This would be the nativity. It would be a Zoom call right? It would be, hey, Mary, unmute yourself. I can't hear what you're saying. It'd be terrible. So I'm so glad that he came uh, when he did, and we are dated by him 2020, 2020 years after the miraculous birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, I've been excited about this series, Mystery in a Manger, and I'll tell you why. Personally, I'm excited about it because I'm the kind of person that just doesn't have the ability to turn off my brain in order to accept something purely by faith. I feel like my mind matters. I feel like that God gave me a brain, he wanted me to use it. And so I I don't just want to say, oh yeah, that's what I was taught, that's what I was told, so I'm just going to believe it. I need to have evidence. I need to have something to stand on. And I'm telling you, that the reason that we did this series is because we wanted to put a foundation under your feet, or at least let you recognize the foundation that God has already provided through his word so that you can know that your faith is in something that's real and not in a fairy tale or a, a myth. So, and this is really kind of at the core of it is I think it would take a whole lot more faith not to believe that Jesus is who he said he was than to believe it. I think you really have to take a leap of faith to not believe the truth of what Jesus did when he came here. Let's review real quick, okay? We've done three weeks. This is the fourth. In week one, we talked about the witnesses, eyewitness accounts of the birth of Christ. And we went back to Matthew and Luke because both of those writers give us that firsthand account and was so close to when it actually unfolded. In week two... Clayton discussed the forensic evidence, particularly in the lineage of Jesus, in the the genealogy of Jesus that we read in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. In Matthew 1, we see how he had the legal right to the throne because of his stepfather, Joseph. And we see how he had the blood right to the throne because of his mother, Mary. And 
we see, we learn through that, that Jesus literally, literally was the king of the Jews. It's like a, a true statement when you say king of the Jews. He was and is. In week three, Clayton talked about this undeniable proof of prophecy. He looked at it mathematically, looked at it historically. And there's really no way to deny it when you, when you look at those things that he shared with you. But today, today, we are going to look at the greatest claim of all having to do with the mystery in the manger, that Jesus is actually God. Not just a teacher, not just a, a Jewish young man in Israel 2,000 years ago, but actually God. Makes me think of, of a Christmas carol. In 2002, my brother, his wife, and Allison and I, we got to go to Austria and, uh, and southern Germany, beautiful, beautiful area there. But, uh, and we stayed near Salzburg, Austria, and just about 11 miles north of Salzburg, this little town, this beautiful little storybook town called Orberndorf. So I know it's a terrible name because it's that German and kind of sounding name, Orberndorf. Well, Orberndorf, even though you've probably never heard of that town, what happened in that town, all of you are aware of because it was the place where Franz Gruber and Joseph Moore first played a song that they had written called Silent Night. It was in the church there. The church has long been gone, it's burned down, but they've replaced that church with a chapel. And I wanted to show you a picture of that chapel where it was first done in Orbendorf, Germany, and there, uh, excuse me, Austria. And there, there are beautiful stained glass windows that inside there that depict that. But the thing that, that made me think about Silent Night is not the first verse or not the second verse, but the third verse that they wrote. Because the third verse really talks about what I want to talk to you about today. It says, silent night, holy night, son of God, loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Well, that's a that's a big statement that Jesus is God. Now, is that borne out by the facts of the story? Is there really evidence to claim that that's actually the truth, that we could actually say that Jesus is God? Everything that we've shared with you in the last three weeks have been pointing to building a case, like a case in court. And what we're going to do is uh, we're going to reduce that now to a closing argument, okay? And, and that's what I want you to, to get ready for, because there's going to be a lot of scripture in what I'm going to share with you today. What we're going to do is go back and see how the eyewitnesses, the forensic evidence, the miraculous prophecy, all prove this final point. And I want to begin where Clayton left off last week, and that's in the area of prophecy. I'm just going to spend time with one particular prophet today, and that's the prophet Isaiah. Now, here's what's interesting about Isaiah and these prophecies. Isaiah was a prophet in Israel from 739 B.C., that's the birth of Christ, to 681 B.C., which means about the middle of his tenure was about 700 years, 700 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 7:14, he says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Wow. The virgin birth. What a miracle, huh? But a lot more than a miracle. The virgin birth is a statement. It's a statement about a bridge being built with God providing the genetics miraculously for the child of Mary to truly be the son of God. That's what that virgin birth is all about, that he is the son of almighty God. And if the fact that being a virgin and conceiving isn't enough, the prophet makes this definitive statement in that passage of scripture and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. There it is. The prophet declares the true identity of Jesus. He continues that in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. Where was Jesus raised? In Galilee, in the north of Israel, right? By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We see that this child to be born will be in some way connected to Galilee. And he will use, Isaiah will use one of the two words the definitive words used to describe God, love and life. He will use light. He will use light, love and light, to define Jesus. Now look down at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. A familiar scripture, if you've ever heard Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Listen to what Isaiah says 700 years before Jesus is born. He ascribes Jesus with titles only fit for God himself. He calls him mighty God. He calls him everlasting father. He calls him prince of peace. Who else could have those titles? If you move through Isaiah, you go to chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah clearly describes that someone will go before 
the Messiah. John, John the Baptist, describes the one that he precedes as the glory of the Lord. Look at verses 9 through 11. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs into his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Isaiah introduces him as God. He introduces him as sovereign Lord, describes him as the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. Prophecy declares 700 years before the birth that Jesus is exactly the person that was described in these prophecies. Look at the forensic evidence. How about the testimony of an angel? In Luke chapter 1, verses 33 to 38, it says, And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His, forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called, what? The Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. There's so much evidence in those verses of scripture, just right there. Gabriel says that Jesus will be called the son of the most high. He says that he will sit on David's throne. He says that Jesus' kingdom is never ending or everlasting. That's an attribute for God alone. He describes her conception and then repeats the title, son of God. Gabriel even describes how Jesus will be preceded and heralded by a priest. You see, Zechariah was a priest, and his son that Elizabeth was bearing in her old age, John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 uh, to 23, this is what Gabriel says to Joseph. But after he had considered this, that's divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, there it is again, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Gabriel tells Joseph what's going on, but once again, the author reminds us of the name the prophet gave 700 years previously, Emmanuel. Even Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, gives us forensic evidence. When Mary visited her in Luke chapter 1, verse 43, 
This is what she said. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Lord, should come to me? Elizabeth declared that the child was God. Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, the prophet, he declared it in a song that he sang immediately after his son John was born. These were his words in Luke 1, verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare the way for him. Plenty of forensic evidence. We have all this prophecy. We have all this forensic evidence. The third thing, going back to our first uh, sermon in this series, the eyewitnesses. Let's begin with the angels. You remember that the angels appeared to the shepherds? Well, they declared it in Luke 2, 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Those were their words. When he was dedicated at the temple eight days after his birth, there were two more witnesses that declared that he was God. The first one, an old man named Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was, a right, who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. There was a second prophet that saw Jesus when he was dedicated at eight days. It's in Luke 2, uh, 36 to 38. Her name was Anna. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. There's Simeon, there's Anna, there are the angels, and finally, there were the wise men. There's so much about the wise men that's just so fascinating. Many believe that the wise men were a, a sect of leaders who connected science and religion going back to the time of Daniel. That would have been about 550 years before the birth of Christ. We know this because the title that they were given, the title they were given was Magi. You've probably heard that, seen that. It's traced back to Daniel's title when he was in Persia. He was called Rob Mag, or the chief of the Magi. Daniel prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. You can find that in Daniel chapter 9. And I believe that these wise men were of that field of study. Now, if you go into world history, especially ancient civilizations, what you'll find out 
are that Magi were a very serious, very important group of people. In the ancient empire world, the Magi would travel and install kings, kings of Babylon, kings of Media, kings of Persia. All these great kings of the ancient world were installed by the Magi. They were revered by all of the ancient empire. Now, when you read the scripture about the Magi and Herod, something comes out that you may have never considered before. They were actually intentionally insulting Herod. You ever thought about that? Don't you think that when the Magi came, if you've read the story of the wise men, that they were just looking for Jesus? Oh, no. They weren't just looking for Jesus. Remember, they were people who installed kings. I want to show you this scripture, and I'll show you how they were insulting Herod. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, here it is, ready? Here's the insult. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? You may be saying, Jerry, how's that an insult? Oh, it was a serious one. You see, the Magi made it their business to know all about kings that were installed into their royalty. And the term that they're using here is the one born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Do you know why that was an insult? Because the Magi knew Herod. They knew about Herod. And they knew that he was not born king of the Jews. Herod was a Jordanian. He wasn't even Jewish. The only reason he could be on the throne was because he married a Jewish princess. It was the Roman government that put him on that throne so that they can, could control Israel through their little vassal king. He wasn't born king of the Jews. That was an insult, an intentional insult by those wise men. Wise men. It was a legitimate threat. You want to know why Herod tried to have all those babies killed? He knew it was a legitimate threat because Jesus was born king. He wasn't just installed a king by some other government. But it's not that. It's what was said next that really sets him apart. And what they did was they said, we have come to worship him. To worship him. And then they did worship him. It wasn't the job for the Magi to worship these kings, just to install them. But this one was different. This one they worshiped. And it's interesting, not what they said, it's more interesting what they actually did. You read what they did when they worshiped him. When they they worshiped him, they glorified him. They bowed down before him. They gave gifts to him. And they greatly rejoiced being filled with praise. It's exactly what you and I do every time we come together as a body of believers. We worship the king the same way that the wise men did. We ascribe to him, glorify him. We bow down before him. We give gifts to him. And we rejoice greatly because of him. Amazing. Oh, we have the prophetic evidence. Sure we do. We have the forensic 
evidence. We have the eyewitness testimony. We have all the proof that you need. If I was a lawyer and this was my closing argument, I have made my case. And I say all of that so that I can say this. How foolish, how foolish can you be to think that this is some sort of a fairy tale? The evidence is so compelling. It is so overwhelming. You know why? Because it's true. It is the truth. The mystery of the manger is no mystery at all. He is the great I am. Listen, listen. I am the seed of the woman from Genesis 3. I am Abraham's seed that will bless the whole world. I am Shiloh of the tribe of Judah. I am the one to whom it belongs. I am both the seed and the root of Jesse. I am the one born in Bethlehem. I am the one called out of Egypt. I am the Nazarene. I am the son of Mary. I am John's lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I am the one in whom the father is well pleased. I am the good shepherd. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the one you're looking for. I'm the one who so loves the world. I'm the one who, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I am the one who was lifted up to draw all men to myself. I am the one who was pierced for your transgressions. I'm the one who finished it. I'm the one who was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich. I am the one who is dead and is alive again. I am the one that holds the keys to death and hell. I am the one who is coming and I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm the one riding the white horse with a coat dipped in blood. I am the one coming for my bride. I am who I am. Even so, even so, come Lord Jesus. This is the answer to the mystery in the manger. And if you had any doubt about whether or not Jesus is real or that God came to earth, just look at Christmas. He came here. He came here. That's, that's how much he loves you. I've been to Israel four times. It never ceases to touch my heart because I have walked where he walked. I've stood where he stood. I've sailed on that same Sea of Galilee. I've baptized people in the same water of the Jordan River. I've stood on the same spot in the synagogue of Capernaum where he told the sermon of being the bread of life. I've stood on the side of the mountain where he gave the sermon on the mount. I've stood on the pavement where he was beaten and bled, where a crown of thorns was placed on his head. I've been in the church of the nativity, in the cave where he was born, I have placed my hands on the edge of the manger that he was laid in. 
I have been on the top of the hill where he was crucified. I've walked in the tomb where, he was, where his body was laid for three days. I've walked up the mountain, Mount of Olives, where he ascended into heaven. I've been in the upper room where he broke bread with his disciples. He's real. He always has been real. Don't for a minute, don't for a minute doubt that Jesus isn't real. Don't for a minute doubt that all of these things that you have heard for the last four weeks are coincidental. They're real. That's not the question. Only a fool would ask that question. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What have you done about it? And what kind of confrontation is that creating in your heart right now? I want you to think about that as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.